The Naked Naturopath is super excited to team up with Remedy Kombucha to help bring this podcast to you. I'm always talking fermented foods and drinks, and I based my cookbooks around the health benefits of these things. Sarah and Emmett Condon started Remedy on their kitchen bench, just like I did when I started experimenting. They make their drinks the old school way in small batches using a long aged brewing process. What they have now is the tastiest, healthiest, raw kombucha going around. This means that it still has all of those good bacteria and live cultures, organic acids and antioxidants that are great for your gut and your overall well-being and health. You can find out more and order online via remedydrinks.com. And for all my amazing listeners that are here on the podcast, you can get a treat by entering the code TNN for The Naked Naturopath at the checkout. You'll get 20% off and free delivery. Thanks, Emma and Sarah, and enjoy the podcast today. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to Melissa Gearing, The Naked Naturopath. Mel is a qualified naturopath, herbalist, and nutritionist. She can't wait to share her thoughts on all things health and wellness with you. My name is Melissa Gearing, and I am the Naked Naturopath. Thanks for listening in. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the Naked Naturopath. I have a really, really cool guest that I'm super excited to talk to today. His name is Jeff Chilton. He is the founder of Namex, which uh, introduced medicinal mushrooms into the nutritional supplement industry in the 1980s. And Namex was the first to offer organic mushroom extracts into the supplement industry. And he's also uh, co-authored a book on mushrooms called The Mushroom Cultivator. And I'm super excited to chat mushrooms to you, Jeff. Welcome. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm really oh, happy to be here, Melissa. It's so my pleasure. And um, we had a bit of hit and miss in terms of, uh, you know, time zones. And so I'm really glad to see you and chat to you and, and be recording it and be bringing it to the Naked Naturopath listeners. Uh, yeah, it only took us about uh, three weeks to yeah. finally get it all worked out right. Oh, the, the first time I just completely forgot that you're a whole day behind. I'm thinking, yes, yeah. I'm on time. I'm, you know, I've got the time zone right, and then I just completely forgot about the day. Yeah, well, I mean, we're half a world away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, such a warm welcome, and I'm, I'm really excited, particularly to talk to you because my listeners love talking about herbs and they love talking about um, how I use them medicinally in the clinic. And so, having somebody on who knows so much and has such experience, I guess, in uh, bringing a very specific herbal medicine to the public is just really, really exciting. And I'm sure everyone can kind of hear it in my voice that I'm jumping out. I've got beans. <laughs> so tell us a little bit. I know I gave you a little intro, but tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I, I grew up and was born in the Pacific Northwest, which is uh, Washington, Oregon, British Columbia area of North America. And this area is what we call evergreen mm -hmm. because we get so much rain <laughs> and we're, we're right on the, on the ocean here. So the Pacific ocean. And so it's a very rainy, wet climate. And what that means is we have lots of water. We have lakes and rivers and we have forests as far as the eye can see. And those forests are all evergreen trees. So it is, it's just a green world. And, and, because of all that water, we have mushrooms everywhere yeah. here. So mushrooms are a big part of this world. And, and because of our climate, it's kind of a mild maritime climate. And in the fall, the mushrooms are just springing up everywhere. So I grew up with mushrooms all around me. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, when I, when I went off to university, and, and that was a long time ago, 1965. <laughs> I'm a child of the 60s. I uh, went off to university. I was studying anthropology mm. because I, I was just really excited about learning how other people organize their societies and how other people did things. And and at the same time, I had an interest in wild mushrooming. So I kind of put two and two together. And I my study was all about how mushrooms are used by cultures worldwide. And so that was my anthropological study. And at the same time, we had a great science department there that had a department of mycology. So I took a couple of courses in mycology, too. Yeah. So, so 
my whole university education was really what you might call ethnomycology, how mushrooms were used around the world historically and and uh, at the present time. That's so cool. It's so foreign to um, me and I think even a lot of the listeners because it's not something that we know a lot about or study or have options to study here in Australia and that could be because we don't actually have a lot of, you know, um, mushrooms, uh, mushroom yep. growth. Like even all the the mushrooms that I study for herbal medicine are mostly Asian, yep. Asian-based. Um, so yep. it's, yeah, it's just not an option. And it's so, it's such a niche kind of unique thing to, to get into. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it is. And, and just to give you an idea too of what it's like is uh, after I graduated from university, well, one of the things I did is I, I, after university, I went and I spent a year and a half in Mexico tracking down cultures where they were still using the mushroom in, wow. in healing ceremonies. That's so, 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 I mean, it was amazing because in the 1950s, a, a um, man who was very interested in mushrooms went to Mexico, heard about people using these mushrooms in healing ceremonies in Mexico. He went down there for four or five summers with, with a French mycologist. His name was Gordon Wasson, and he took this fresh French mycologist with him and spent four or five years during the mushroom season tracking down these different mushrooms. And while he was there, he also found different what are called curanderas, which are Native healers. That's the name for a healer oh, in Spanish is a curandera. That's me. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that's you. That is you. It's true. That's and, so cool. and the and, and of course these mushrooms that they were using were, were mushrooms that were psychoactive, yeah. right? Yeah. And they were using them in their healing ceremonies. He took part in those ceremonies and then he wrote a book about it. And and, you know, imagine that as somebody writing a book about these. And in the 50s was the kind of time where there was actually one of the mainstream magazines had a big uh, color article about him being down there. And it was like on the front cover of the, of the magazine, it said, mushrooms that cause visions discovered in Mexico. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, my gosh. You know, that was before the whole thing became sort of uh, um, demonized by governments and the media. But but for me, it was something that really piqued my imagination. And I went down there and sort of did did my own field work into it. Absolutely. uh, Which was which was fascinating in itself. But then when I came back from Mexico, it was like, well, what do I do? How do I get a job as yeah. an anthropologist, right? Yeah, yeah. an anthropologist so, who who specifically looks at mushrooms. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's right. So, so what, what I actually ended up doing was was I went, well, I re- I'm really interested in mushrooms, and I love to learn how to grow them. Mm-hmm. So in 1973. I went to work on a very, very large mushroom farm. And for the next 10 years, I worked on this mushroom farm. And we were growing 2 million pounds of of these button mushrooms a year on this farm. And and I literally lived with mushrooms. Yeah. So just button mushrooms? When I guess when was your introduction into more medicinal mushrooms and uh, using those mushrooms as food versus medicine. Um, when did you start to get into the more specific stuff? Well, you know, the, the the thing was when I was there, I was one of the only people that was really interested in what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone else there was just kind of like, oh, this is a job, and I, I can't wait till I get out of here and get a better job. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and they looked at me like, what's with this guy? He really <laughs> likes what he's doing. Really but, into mushrooms. <laughs> but I was really lucky, Melissa, because – on that farm, we had a Japanese scientist. Oh, cool. And he was the head of our research and development department. And he was growing, and I was working with him during my time there. He was growing shiitake. Yeah. He was growing oyster mushrooms, and he was growing 
enoki taki mm-hmm. mushrooms, which is flamulina. So I was exposed to these other mushrooms when I was there. And, and in 1978, he grew enough shiitake mushrooms that this farm put shiitake mushrooms out and did a big marketing campaign and put them out into the local markets. And, and, And it was like, it was the very first time in the United States where shiitake mushrooms were being sold into the markets on any kind of scale. Yeah. But you know what the, you know what the funny thing was? The funny thing was that, that it, the whole thing flopped. Oh, never because, them. because people who bought them just found them to be, they thought they were too strong. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They, yeah, the slave like, was yeah. too strong. And, and for me, Melissa, I love to talk. To me, they are the most flavorful, wonderful mushrooms ever. And, and in China, the name for shiitake is shanggu, and what that means is fragrant mushroom. Yeah, yeah. I guess if you've never tried it before and you don't really know what to do with something like that, it can be quite foreign. It can. And, and you know what? In the 70s, it was still a time, and I'm sure it was the same in Australia, it was still a time where where the per capita consumption of mushrooms in the United States was still very, very low compared to, say, Europe or yeah. Asia. So they were still doing their best just to convince people to eat yeah. the butt mushroom. Well, I guess so, culturally, and, I, you know, you would know anthropology likewise, we, we just haven't, they're not a part of our, they're not a, mushrooms aren't a big part of the culture here in Australia, um, and I assume that's the same in America because we don't have any of those traditional uses or knowledge about them, um, or even, you know, uh, culinary, um, traditional cooking wise, like we just don't use them. Well, and, and you know what, it's, it's interesting because in, in North America, a lot of the mushroom use and interest initially was from, from immigrant groups from, let's say Eastern Europe yeah. or, or France or something like that. But in the UK, um, although they, they were growing mushrooms, um, still they were just growing one mushroom and it was still a little bit, you know, you know, here's, here's what's really interesting about mushrooms is that, is that at that time in the seventies, nutritionists considered mushrooms to be without any nutritional value. Right. And the reason was that mushrooms are very low in calories. Mm-hmm. So if your food is low cal, they're like, well, there's no Where's nothing <laughs> there, and and this they so they were just like yeah mushrooms are just a great garnish and they're something that you put in for flavor, right. but there's really no nutritional value, which is which is totally wrong. Absolutely. Mushrooms, for one, they have a reasonable amount of protein, very high for a vegetable, high in carbohydrates, and the carbohydrates are really good carbohydrates. They are they are um, uh, a sugar called mannitol. Mm-hmm which is a very slow-acting sugar. It's not, not a high G, GI yeah. or, um, you know what I mean, uh, where it really gives you this blast of, yeah. of sugar. No, it's very slow digesting. They're, they're very, very high in fiber. Mm-hmm. So, so they're feeding your microbiome. Absolutely. They've got B vitamins. Yeah. Uh, so and, and not a, not only that, they've got they've got these uh, polysaccharide compounds in them called beta glucans, and those are the compounds that are immunologically active. Yeah. So most of um, I mean, fiber is your prebiotics. I see loads of different supplements yep, yep. that are saying, "Hey, you need prebiotics," and I'm like, "Hey, guys, it's in your food already." <laughs> fiber That's is right. prebiotics, and that is the food for yes. our probiotics, which is so important for our immune system and our gut health and all that stuff. However, furthermore, in terms of mushrooms, um, in my study, I know that most of the mushrooms that we look at are used for cancer because of that yep. immune modulating effect. Um, That's right. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure, absolutely. And, and you know, you got it exactly right because it is immune modulation. And, and so what is happening is that these beta-glucans, it, it's interesting, we actually have a receptor site 
in our gut four beta glucans. And when these beta glucans get down there and hit those receptor sites, what they do is they stimulate the production of uh, NK cells, of macrophages. So they they kind of light up our immune system, and that's where they come in in terms of helping people who whose let's say their their immunity has been destroyed by maybe they're they're in chemotherapy or radiotherapy or something like that or even people that are just you know for some reason they have a weak immune system well these beta glucans and and the thing about the beta glucans is that there's a tremendous amount of scientific research that's been done on mushroom beta glucans to demonstrate that they are the key and and what's interesting is that the beta glucan makes up as much as 50% of the cell wall of the mushroom. So, yeah. so even when you are eating mushrooms, you are getting these beta glucans and a lot of it's in the fiber, um, but they're soluble and insoluble beta glucans. And the soluble ones are the ones that are really the most active according to the researchers, but still even, even having those insoluble beta glucans, those can also, I think, help activate some of those immunological sites that we have. Yeah, cool. So in terms of mushrooms, like, you know, um, what type are you using? Because you're not not putting button mushrooms into your supplements, are you? No, no, not (laughs) actually. You know, and and, and listen, you know what's interesting is that that research has shown that even button mushrooms have immunological activity. And no offense to the button (laughs) mushrooms (laughs) because I love them. But, but... You know, and and this is this is what's interesting is that I have a book. It's called Icons of Medicinal Mushrooms in China, and in that book they list 270 mushrooms where there's been some scientific evidence wow. of activity. Yeah. 270. Yeah. Well, okay, mm-hmm. that's fine. But which ones are they using in a in a real regular way in traditional Chinese medicine. And when you start to look at that, then you see that, okay, there's maybe eight, 12 different mushrooms that are commonly used in traditional Chinese medicine. So, so for me and and my company, that's the first thing that we would do is we would look at, okay, what are the main ones that are used there? And then we would go out into the scientific (laughs) literature and we would say, uh, we would look and we'd say, okay, how much scientific research has been done on these specific mushrooms to back up what they've been doing in traditional Chinese medicine. And at that point, we end up with, for example, about 10 or 12 main mushrooms. Those would be shiitake, maitake, uh, reishi, mm-hmm. uh, oyster mushroom, tremella, um, turkey tail, um, felinus, uh, right now, uh, another one that's been utilized out there that's really interesting is chaga. So, so there's maybe these ten, and and why those and not others? Mm. Well, the reason is is that these beta glucans they have a specific architecture. Yeah. And each mushroom, the architecture of those beta glucans is a little bit different. So some of the beta-glucans are, are very active. Others are mildly active. Mm-hmm. So no matter what, you're going to get some activity, but some mushrooms are absolutely more active than others. And the other thing that we found out, because one of the differences between my company and everything, everybody else is that we actually do a lot of testing. Yeah. And I, I, I love testing. I, I, I've, feel it's very important. And, and one of the reasons why is, you know, I, I went to China in 1989, Melissa, for the very first time. I went to a mushroom conference. Mm-hmm. China is where they started growing mushrooms. Yeah. They've got mushroom institutes. They've got <laughs> these conferences. They've got thousands of mushroom growers. And, and you know what? Actually, today, 85% of the world's mushrooms are grown in China. Wow. 85%. So so I'm going over there to China, and I'm going to conferences. I'm going to research institutes. I'm meeting people all over the place, and I'm learning 
so much and I'm visiting farms and, and production facilities. And, and as I go through there, uh, these people that have these production facilities making extracts, they're saying, hey, don't you want to buy my extract? And I'm looking at it, and all I see is a brown powder. <laughs> Could you know be anything, I mean? yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, like, it's like, well, <laughs> I don't know how to, to validate yes. what you're trying to sell me. What is it that I can do? Well, from the very beginning, what I wanted to do and what I started doing was developing tests. Yeah that we could use. And one of the first tests that we developed back in the nineties was a test for the triterpenoids in reishi mushroom yeah, and the triterpenoids reishi mushroom is rich in triterpenoids mm -hmm. and, and nobody except researchers were analyzing for the triterpenoids. I partnered with the university of British Columbia with a, a professor there and we went into the lab and we created standards and we used HPLC and we started actually quantifying the triterpenoids in our products. And that way I could actually take some of these products and I could test them mm -hmm. and that would allow me to weed out who's producing a good product, who's not producing a good product. And I was able to develop relationships with different growers yes. and processors. And I've had those relationships now for over 20 years. Yes. And it gives you a stable medicine to offer people. And I guess in terms of the general public and the listeners, what it means for them is that every time they buy your supplement or every time they get herbs from me, we know that the uh, certain particular constituents are active and at the same levels across the board. So one bottle of reishi mushroom will be the same and just as effective as the next bottle. And for you, buying mushrooms, I mean, that's so important because you could have a varying degrees of different constituents depending on where those mushrooms were grown and what they've been fed and all those things. And I, I think that's so important. And, you know, with having all these herbs here behind me in the clinic, I need to know that this bottle of lavender is going to work just as well as the next bottle for my patients. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And, and, and you know, the interesting part about it is that, is that, for example, with reishi mushroom, if I take a reishi mushroom that's growing wild in this state and I get one from another state, same, same genus, same species, it's a reishi mushroom, from maybe 10 different locations, the genetics of those are all going to be a little bit different. And, and the researchers have done research where they've taken all of those, they've measured them all, and they found the level of triterpenes varies from 1% to 12%. Yeah, just like people. Yeah, just yeah, like yeah. So, so, and, 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 you know, and, and, and plants and everything, I mean, we know that's a fact, although, although let's face it, I mean, generally speaking, if we look at a approximate analysis, protein, carbohydrates, things like that, yeah. okay, that'll be very similar. But when it comes to these phytochemicals that mm -hmm. are in there, mm -hmm. that can be very, very different. And, and again, it's just like when you get into cultivation then of these and you get out of the wild, you get into cultivation, that's very important that you start with a cultivar that has the right genetics to produce yeah. a high level of these compounds that we're interested in. Yeah, definitely. So what kind of, I want to know a little bit more about your supplements. What, what are you, what are you doing at the moment and what are you putting in is, um, are you doing mixtures of mushrooms or are you doing simples? Well, you know what, you know what we do is we, uh, um, first of all, just to let your listeners know a little bit about, the whole process in a sense. And, and we, I have Chinese partners and we have dozens of growers. In 1997, I went to China with one of the largest organic certification organizations in the United States. And we had the very first organic certification workshop for mushrooms in China. <laughs> So is this because people generally are concerned with the fact that they're growing, the mushrooms are growing in China, do you find? Well, well, you know what, the, the issue for me at the time was, you know, I, my company was organic. My company was uh, established in 1989. Mm -hmm. In 1992, I became organically certified. 
I totally believe in that. Yeah. That's very important to me. So as I'm traveling through China, well, certainly one of the things that was important to me was I want the mushrooms because what happens, Melissa, is that, and this is something that's really kind of interesting, is that I can grow mushrooms here in the United States or Canada, and I, these fresh mushrooms I can take to the marketplace, and I can get, let's just say, um, $10 a kilo for my fresh mushrooms. Mm -hmm. But for supplement use, these have to be dried out. Yeah. Okay, so so now all of a sudden, this it's 90% water. Mm -hmm. So now <laughs> I have to get $100 for that dried kilo. So in, in the United States, it, the economics do not work. So, so nobody, nobody in the United States actually grows mushrooms for use in supplements. Yeah. And think about it for a minute. If you have to get $100 mm -hmm. for that uh, kilo of dried mushrooms, and what if you're making a four to one extract mm -hmm. and now your raw materials are $400 plus the cost of extraction. Yeah. Economically it doesn't work. So, so once I realized this, I, I realized, okay, I'm organically certified. I, I believe in this. I've got to go to my growers over there and the people that I work with. And I have to say to them, look, here's the program. And you know what? In this workshop, we had 24 people in this workshop, 24 growers in this workshop. That was 1997. Yeah. And today we have tons and tons and tons of organically certified mushrooms being grown in China because yeah. of that. Not just for me, but yeah. for lots of other people. And, and, and so that was absolutely the first thing that had to happen was yeah. we had to get the products organically certified so we what we do is we we grow our mushrooms with it they're grown on natural materials they're grown on most interesting most medicinal mushrooms grow on wood yes <laughs> can, can you imagine most of them are wood decomposers mm. there are <laughs> compounds in the wood that are important to make those medicinal yeah compounds in the mushroom so we grow everything on sawdust logs or on whole logs like the reishi grows on a yeah. on a whole log shiitake used to be grown on on wood logs too like oak logs but but that's kind of been displaced now because you know actually they don't have the trees for that anymore it's mostly sawdust mm -hmm. that they grow on but every single mushroom that we have that we grow comes off of wood and it's grown very naturally in shade houses with natural temperature, fresh air. Here's something that maybe people don't know. You know, a lot of people think, okay, mushrooms, yeah, they grow in a cave. They grow in, <laughs> they grow, you know, they don't need any light or anything. The interesting thing is mushrooms actually need light to grow properly. Mm. They need light. They, if, if they don't have light, you know what happens? They, they uh, um, will grow a very, very long stem and a little, little tiny cap, and they won't have any color. Yeah. That light actually helps them produce the colors that they're on. Now, having said that, the one mushroom that doesn't need light that's cultivated is the button mushroom. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that interesting? That Bloody one button. mushroom doesn't. So, so when I started growing mushrooms uh, on the commercial farm in 1973, everything's grown indoors. And of course, you know, in in, in the West, we are we're not growing outdoor in shade houses. No, we're gonna we're gonna be completely climate controlled with all yeah. of this equipment. Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna bust money into it. We'd go into those houses with miners' lamps on. Mm, wow! Because it was dark in there, so everybody, everybody in there going in and have a miner's light. Even the harvesters would be in there with miner's lights yeah. on, like like you know you're working in a mine. Yeah, it was really so something. But, but again, we grow them in as natural a way as possible, and then what we do is we will process them, and we do that in two different ways. One is what we call our one-to-one -one extract, where we will take. The mushrooms, the dried mushrooms, will cook them in hot water at 
approximately 80 degrees C for three hours. And, and then what we'll do is we will evaporate the water down to where the fluid then becomes uh, syrupy. And then we'll send that to a spray dryer. But in that one-to-one -one extract, Melissa, we do not throw away the raw material. We keep the raw material with that, which, which I like because I think, you know, it's like we don't lose anything. It's all there. Mm. And, and again, it's one kilo in, one kilo out. Mm -hmm. yeah, but we've, we've, in a sense, pre-digested that mushroom. Yeah. And the thing with mushrooms are is that they have this compound called chitin, mm -hmm. which is a, a structural compound. And it, it makes mushrooms a little bit indigestible. Mm -hmm. So when you're eating mushrooms, you're not getting the full amount of the nutrients in there because of this chitinous material there. When we grind these things up to a powder, when we extract them, we are getting everything out. But we keep the powder with those one-to-ones. When we do a more concentrated extract, I mean, if we do a four-to-one or an eight-to-one or a ten-to-one, well, obviously you can't take 10 kilos of dried mushrooms and put them in a one kilo of extract, <laughs> right? <laughs> you can't leave the fiber there. So we'll cook those three times with water. And in some cases, we'll cook them once with alcohol, for example, with uh, with reishi or chaga, mm -hmm. because they have compounds that in order to get everything out, some of the compounds are not water soluble yeah. to get yeah. everything out of that fiber. We'll use the alcohol for mm -hmm. a one time. Then we'll basically concentrate all the fluid down, again, send it off to a spray dryer, and we'll have that final kilo of powder. And, and all we... All of the extracts that we make are, in fact, powdered extracts. We don't make any liquid extracts. Mm -hmm. uh, and and these, these more concentrated extracts, the fiber is all filtered out. We consider it after three-time extractions that it's pretty much spent. Yeah. We take everything out of it. So, so that's how we make the, the two different extract lines, so to speak. That's so cool. It's kind of like a bone broth, right? You know, the you don't eat the vegetables and try and uh, do something else with the bones they're spent it's all in that broth it's yes that that's liquid. right that's right that's right so when we're making those concentrated extracts it's like you're pulling everything out it's mm. you know what I, I i look at extraction almost like making a soup to yes. some degree right yeah. and yeah. you think about this and you think how wonderful that, that soup is and I, i'm sure if you're doing liquid extracts for example i mean mm. we know that that taking in those liquid extracts, boy, you're getting that right away. It's very, very available to yes. us right away. Acts a lot faster than say, you know, when we're just eating, mm. eating these things. Yeah, absolutely. And having been extracted in that way really not only increases their bioavailability, but the, um, I guess what I kind of think is a strength because there's a huge difference between having chamomile tea, for example, and having chamomile tincture. Um, absolutely, absolutely right. Yeah, so, and that, that's that's basically the reason, of course, why we're we're making these extracts because because we know that if you want to really get a medicinal amount of that in yeah. whatever it is that you're doing, you know, you know, it's like a lot of supplements. Yeah, they'll say, you know, maybe they'll grind it up, grind up with just a straight herb, throw it in capsules, and they say, take two capsules a day. Well. You and I know that you're not going to get any benefits from that yeah. because there's just not enough of the actives, and you might have to take ten of those capsules <laughs> to really get the amount you need. And and that's where extraction comes in. And, and it's interesting because you know in in Asia and, and in traditional Chinese medicine, when they make those extracts, holy smokes, they boil the hell out of them, and yeah. and, uh, and and they they have a very strong potion that you're drinking and the people that I've talked to about TCM, they tell me those TCM practitioners, they want to see results. Yes, absolutely. They don't want to give something that, you know, is not enough to provoke a reaction. They yeah. want they want results from their medicine. It's, that, it's a therapeutic dose rather than that food grade, you know, kind of um, or tea or even essential oil kind of area. It's a therapeutic dose of the medicinal constituents that yeah we're looking for as therapists definitely 
for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. A therapeutic dose. That's that's yeah. exactly right. I mean, you as a practitioner, you don't want to just like, here, take this and go in and uh, try. You know, no, yeah. you want to know that what you're giving them is something that can yeah. actually help them and be enough to help them. Absolutely. So my dad always used to say when I was a kid that I wasn't allowed to eat raw mushrooms. Right? So he would say that I can't digest them. Um, oh, yeah. Well, that's really interesting. Yeah. yeah because you know what? The... Um, Mushrooms and especially raw mushrooms, they would be difficult to digest. Mm. And and uh, certainly cooking helps to break down the cell walls and and break it down to and help us to digest them. And also, of course, if you're eating mushrooms like any food, you really should chew them quite well. Yes. But <laughs> they do have they do have this chitinous compound in there, which makes them less digestible. And, and that's where where in terms of the fiber and as a prebiotic and and listen. One of the first things that I tell people is I say, put mushrooms into your diet. Mm. Make them a standard part of you. Eat them a couple times a week. And don't be shy. I mean, I weighed up a button mushroom the other day. And it was just a medium-sized button mushroom, right? It was 40 grams. Wow. Well, they are quite dense, aren't they? Well, they're dense. They're very dense. Yeah, it's a, it's a button, so it's a dense flesh, the mushroom. Yeah. And I thought, wow, just one mushroom, that's 40 grams. And, and if I were to eat three of those, there's 100 grams or a little more, and that's like 10 dried grams. And I thought, you know, and for me, for me, well, you know what, I, I could eat um, 250 grams yeah. sitting like that. <laughs> <laughs> and this is why that meaty texture you're talking about, that's really why the vegetarians meet or the vegans meet because they give that beautiful, meaty, wholesome texture when they're eating it, right? Plus, like you this, said, they got proteins. Well, yes, and, and listen to this. This is I, I love this. I came across this in some reading where in Britain in the 1700s, mushrooms were called Poor man's meat. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Poor man's meat. Absolutely. And you, yeah, well, you think about that. Sometimes you'll see this mushroom. It's big. It's mm. meaty. You're like, okay, and yes. Then, you, know, you cook it too, and it actually represents, like it looks like meat sometimes, depending on what you do to it. Well, yeah. Yeah, no, it is. And you know what's happening over here right now is that there's a lot of food companies now that are, are using mushrooms to blend in with uh, with their uh, hamburger type meat. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what you guys call mince? Yeah. Is it? <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> and and so they're 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 putting it in there, like sometimes as much as fifty yeah. percent to not only extend the the meat, but but also to add flavor and to also give you something that's not just a piece of meat, and right? Increasing plant based yeah. food, yeah. Great. Yeah. So, so it's, and, and boy, you just can't imagine right now the way mushrooms over here have kind of blown up. And after all these years, you know, I mean, think about it a second. I started growing mushrooms in 1973, and all of a sudden in 2017, mushrooms are like the new superfood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm just like, well, here we go. I knew it, but. <laughs> yeah. I have so many people come into the clinic and they're like, so I was reading about reishi. Do you have reishi? Can I have some reishi? Like, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, hey, it's good for yeah. my stress and it's good for my adrenals and you know all these things and yeah, absolutely. The general public is uh, well aware of the benefits of those mushrooms, so it's fantastic. Yeah, and and you know what? That's that's interesting because let me just tell you a little bit about what we do too because people are really heard about the benefits. And, and uh, even people I talk to, whether it's uh, practitioners or whomever, everybody kind of knows, knows what the benefits are. But in terms of quality control of yeah. these products, yeah. it has been really lacking. Mm-hmm. And, and what has happened over here is that, you know, again, we sell 100% mushroom. That's what traditionally has been yeah. used. But over here, what's happened is that a lot of companies are growing what's called mycelium. Mm-hmm. And they grow it on sterilized grain. So they'll take they'll take rice, they'll take uh, other grains, they'll grow the mycelium in a in a plastic bag that has been 
sterilized and they'll grow it out inside a laboratory mm. and, and and then at the end of the process which is 30 to 60 days they will take that product that grain that myceliated grain they will dry it grind it to a powder mm. grain and all oh, wow. and they will sell it as a mushroom yeah right i'm not i'm not kidding you so so the marketplace in North America, and I'm gonna, I would say there will be those same products in Australia, yeah. Yeah. Um, is dominated by products that are mostly starch <laughs> from the grain that has been not been removed. And the level of, and, and the reason, and how this really was exposed is that I have this test for beta glucan, so we test all of our products for beta-glucans, but one of the things I did in 2015 is I bought 40 commercial products off the internet. Great, yeah. And I and I put them into our testing, and I tested 95 products total. I tested dried mushrooms. Yeah. I tested our mushroom extracts. I tested all of these these other products, and all these products that I bought off the internet were these products that I knew were this myceliated grain. Mm. Well, what what I I um, discovered was that they were very, very low in beta-glucan. They're like an average of about 5% beta-glucan when a mushroom is 25 to 50% beta-glucan. Wow. And then this beta-glucan test also had as one of the components, it, it told me how much alpha-glucan was in the mm -hmm. product. Alpha-glucans are starches. Right. These products were, Melissa, they were... They were thirty to sixty percent starch. Mm. Can you imagine? And 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 a mushroom does not have any starch. Yeah. And, and you know what's interesting is is you know, maybe you've heard somewhere they you know where they say yeah we're humans and mushrooms share a lot of common characteristics. One of the things that we share is that we produce glycogen as our storage carbohydrate. Yeah. Plants produce starch. Mushrooms produce glycogen. Right. So, so that alpha glucan in the mushroom gets measured, and it's always about one or two or three percent. So, so here it is: a mushroom is three percent alpha, mm -hmm. twenty-five to fifty percent beta. Mm -hmm. It's just the opposite for these myceliated grain products. They're they're six percent beta. And thirty to sixty percent alpha glucan from all the starch in the grain, and and think about it for a second. All the people out there that are paleo oriented, yeah. or you know, yeah. aren't eating grains, or or even or even just people that want a mushroom product, and and these products are sold, and they say on the label they say reishi mushroom, yeah, maitake mushroom, and they show a picture of a mushroom, and they're not telling you actually what's in the product. And so a lot of those products are the market is dominated though yeah. by those products over here. It is it is amazing and it's in I, I just consider it to be very unethical. Unethical. It's very sad too. <laughs> well it's terribly sad. Yeah. Well, think about the people that are coming yeah. and saying, you know, I, I have a, a life threatening illnesses yes. and I've heard about medicinal mushrooms and, yes. and I'd like to try some, maybe they'll help me out. Mm -hmm. And you're saying, okay, I hear take this and it's mostly starch. Mm -hmm. Which could, you know, like, which is going to have the opposite effect in terms of cancer is what I always think. And we don't really want to be having all that extra <laughs> starch no, and grain. And, no kidding. Yeah. 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 So, so my study, uh, and I published it in 2015, it was called redefining medicinal mushrooms. Mm -hmm. It's on our website. And, and, that had a profound effect on the industry. Right. And, and believe me, these companies that were producing these products, they're not very happy with me. No, uh, but, but they wouldn't be because it's well, going to be cheaper. Thing, and I think about it is, 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 is look, I'm, I'm trying, and I guess my point is, this is what was lacking in the industry. Yeah. What was lacking is any kind of quality standards. Yeah. Yeah. So people could sell these products without any sort of testing yeah we test our products like crazy yeah before they come out of china so we test nice. them for heavy metals we test them for pesticides we do all the microbiological testing 
They come to North America. We test them again for, for pesticides. We test them again for heavy metals. And then we test them for the beta-glucan. We test them for a compound called ergosterol, which is the fungal sterol. Mm-hmm. And we test them for another compound called ergothionine. So we are building a profile and that's really the key to what we're doing at Namex is we're building a testing protocol where you can run your product through our testing protocol oh. and it will give you a profile. Yeah. And, and here's the crazy part about it is that we took some of these myceliated grain products and we did approximate analysis of them. And we also had the approximate analysis of, of the grains they're grown on. And then we had, for example, if we were doing that for cordyceps was one of the things that mm-hmm. we did. Then we, we showed the profile of a cordyceps mushroom. Here's your fats, proteins, carbohydrates, beta-glucans, alpha-glucans. And then we showed these other myceliated grain products. Their profile was exactly the same as the grain. Oh, yeah. So I guess that's going to definitely affect the medicinal use in terms of what people are getting results from but it's going to make a hell of a lot of a cheaper supplement so i'm always talking to people about the quality of a supplement and the pricing of a supplement and if you're going to a lot of effort to do all this extra testing and you know make sure that your products are high high quality and exactly what you want to sell and then there's people growing them on some genetically modified corn of some kind and then yeah, yeah, pumping yeah. them out yeah, yeah <laughs> they're going to be yeah, cheaper yeah. which means well, uh, for the public that they look at it and they go hey there's a 30 dollar mushroom extract or there's a 100 dollar mushroom extract i'll get the 30 dollar one because that's a huge gap yes it is and and you know what's interesting about it is that that if you're getting, for example, one of these myceliated grain products and it's actually next to no fungal matter, mm-hmm. that's actually a very, very expensive product. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's very expensive product because you're paying for basically grain flour yeah. Yeah. and starch. So, so you know, and, and people need to understand that. And there really has to be some standards out there where if you are purchasing one of these supplement products and you know part of that is for example when people are coming to you mm-hmm. well part of the products i mean they can they can come to you and they know who they're dealing with they, they know, know they're working work. with and you can you can <laughs> yeah. be the one there that absolutely. can guarantee quality for them yeah absolutely so I, I, my history you know i worked in health food for many many years and there was such a disparity in the products and you know i would go to one health food store another health food store and i'd look at their extracts you know just in terms of um even take echinacea it's such a common supplement on the shelves and what we really want is two particular types of echinacea and um the roots to really get all those alkaloids and those alkalinamoids um and the you know those constituents that we want but even in the supermarket i'm looking at these supplements and it's whole echinacea herb or even worse echinacea flower and those parts of echinacea are not therapeutically medicinal in the same way so even down to you know parts of plants quality of extracting how it's been stored um all that stuff you know all that stuff is so important and i guess that's why you do come to somebody who knows what they're talking about whether it's mushrooms or other herbal medicine or supplements um yeah it's so important the, the issue here too, Jeff, is we've got a real issue with la- labeling. And those mushrooms that you're talking about, they should have to say that they were grown in a certain way and they contain those extra ingredients. Absolutely. Well, and you know what? Uh, on the labeling that you're supposed to, there is a, um, you know, there's, there's the front panel. Mm. And the law basically says that, you have to specify the plant part. And, and there's actually a, an FDA law, believe it or not, that says you cannot call, if you're, if you're producing and selling mycelium, mm-hmm. you cannot call that mushroom. Okay. They disregard that. Right. And then, and then when you turn it around and you have the supplements facts panel, yeah. there you're supposed to list 
okay, if you have X amount of this particular mushroom and this particular mushroom, but if you've got mycelium in there, not mushroom, you're supposed to say mycelium, the plant part. And then at the very bottom, in the fine print, they have a category that's called other. Mm. Okay, mm -hmm. that's where you're supposed to put, okay, yes, I've got oats in here, yeah. or I've got rice in here, yeah. or I've got something else in here. That's what you're supposed to be doing if you are doing it right. But, you know, one of the things that you have to remember is that there are thousands of products out there. Yeah. And, and FDA, what they're interested in is if they see a particular herbal product that's, that's one, um, they consider dangerous. Yeah. That's what they'll focus on. And the other thing that they don't want to see is if you're making claims yes. like, oh, this is going to cure your yes. cancer. Or this is going to, you're going to lose a uh, hundred pounds in five days or yeah. claims. They, so that's where, you know, they're, they're very active. FDA is very active. Yeah. They go into, into different places. Um, but think about the hundreds and thousands of businesses out there they just don't have the manpower yeah. to supervise that yeah. or do or do testing they don't do testing yeah. of, of things like that no they they're looking more at how you're presenting that in the marketplace and that's something you know melissa that's something that's going on that's age old yeah <laughs> you know somebody's selling something and building it up it's just like when i see go out on the internet and i see people selling uh chaga and it's like Chaga, the king of mushrooms, and there's <laughs> it does everything you'd ever want anything to do. You don't need anything else because it does a thousand different <laughs> things. You know, it's yeah. the panacea yeah. type of. Uh, and, and for me personally, I, I I abhor that. I really do. I, the whole idea of panaceas, the whole idea of of this thing will cure all your mm -hmm. ills. To me, that just drives me over the edge because. Yeah. Because I don't, I, 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 you know, I want to, my herb or whatever it is, I want, tell me the one, two or three things that it really does the well. Best. Yes. Yep. And you know, you know how it is with, with science too, is science will take whatever plant it is and they will fractionate it down mm -hmm. and they will find 50 different things that this thing might do. Yeah. But they've done that with a fraction that occurs in just a tiny amount in there because they're looking for a new drug. Yes. So, so then somebody takes that, oh, gee, this uh, uh, echinacea has uh, really had an effect against HIV. Yeah. And then next thing you know, the company are saying, echinacea, it will cure <laughs> HIV. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's yeah. not how it works. Oh, I know, Jeff. I know. <laughs> so, 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 you know, and, and this is just, this is where business gets in the way at times yes. because and, and you know what what's happened over here in the in North America is you start out with people in the 70s and 80s who are dedicated herbalists mm -hmm. and they come out with a small line of herbal products where they're they're doing the manufacturing oh. <laughs> and I'm just turn that off and they're doing the manufacturing and and they know what the product is. They know where the herbs come from. Yeah. It's a high-quality product. See, but, but then as you move along and as bigger yeah. businesses yeah. get in, Absolutely. it turns into a business. Yep. And I am very much, you know, uh, letting the experts do that and I order those herbs in and I make sure they're the highest quality that I can access and then I can still be that herbalist, although, you know, I'm, it removes me from the plants and the gardens, which is sad, um, but I need to be in clinic to be able to utilize those herbs because you just can't be everything now. No, you, you can't. And, yeah. and, you know, you, but the fact is, is that you have been that herbalist, so you do know about quality and so mm -hmm. you're sensitive to that. And so when you look at these other companies, you can qualify them. Yeah. You can look at the herbs that you're purchasing to make your medicines, and you you know the difference between a high-quality herb and a herb okay. that's not such great quality. And Jeff, just to finish up, can you tell us what we would take medicinal mushrooms for? Because, you know, that's probably what people are thinking, like, what do we need them for? Why would we take them? Um, and, you know, can we access Namex stuff over here? I didn't even think to look before I talked to you. Well, you know what? I, I 
My own belief with medicinal mushrooms is that their primary function is to enhance our uh, immunity. Mm -hmm. There's something, you know, you know, the thing with a mushroom is that, is that it doesn't act overnight. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's something that you have to incorporate into your, whether it be your diet or into a supplement regime, and that works over time. It's sitting in the background. It, it, in a sense, what it's doing is promoting a homeostasis. You know, it's, and, and I, I, I look at mushrooms too as one of the first kind of nutraceuticals, or it's food as medicine. Yeah. Absolutely. And so for me, eating it, and then if you want to supplement, I, I tell people, you know, put in your diet first, and then at some point, if you want to supplement with it, go ahead and supplement with it if you have issues, immunological issues, if you're feeling tired, if you're feeling weak, if you just feel like, you know, a lot of people are like, my immune system just doesn't seem to be able to handle mm -hmm. what's going on. And you know, all the stresses in life and things <laughs> like that. So, so, so to me, that's, that's the primary thing you should look to mushrooms for. And, and, you know, different mushrooms sort of have different characteristics. Reishi, of course, is, is something that, that has been used at times for uh, insomnia. Uh, it's got triterpenes that, that actually work on uh, help your liver, so liver function for the reishi. Cordyceps is something that, that they used for people coming out of an illness, and they were fatigued. Yeah, and so they would period. give them cordyceps. Yeah. So, so, and then, of course, now the one that we can't seem to keep in stock is lion's mane, which has traditionally <laughs> been used for dementia yeah. and for memory loss Ooh. and they have shown certain compounds in there that uh work on that and they've got some interesting uh, clinical trials that have been done in japan that seem to demonstrate that that lion's mane works for the memory so right. so th those types of things i would say and again primarily uh, immunity that that's the big one and again it's that's very non-specific Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that's how I think of mushrooms working. You know, in, in a way, it's like, you know, back in the 90s, we had a, a word that came up and everybody was using it. It was called adaptogen. Yeah. Everyone's and still now, using now, it. Now, and now, all of a sudden, 25 years later, adaptogens are back, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. And people are talking adaptogens again. Mm -hmm. I think, well, you know, it kind of, everything kind of works in a cycle. And, mm -hmm. and I, I think it's an interesting term. And I think it's, it works for the uh, how mushrooms, you know, it's a good way to describe mushrooms. And, and so in that sense, uh, again, something that provides homeostasis. You know, health is really a matter of balance. Mm -hmm. If we're Absolutely. not healthy, we're out of balance, yeah. right? Yeah, definitely. So we're really, we're seeking balance. We're seeking seeking a life where, yeah, we we can just... You know, once we're in balance, we don't even have to think about our health, right? Yeah. Yeah, we don't. And, I, like, I have, we, a, I have a lot of listeners in the States who will be able to, I guess, um, you know, uh, access your mushrooms um, if they want. But um, what about us here in Australia? Because, like, I'm You know what? We actually, we actually sell to companies in Australia. Cool. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and uh, um I, I think too. We we have a um, a retail online outlet for our products because mm -hmm. sometimes our products get blended and yep. formulated. Yep. But just to get straight products, we have a, a site called realmushrooms.com. Cool, <laughs> that's awesome. And uh, and you should you should take a look at that because I think real mushrooms are are available in uh, in Australia. They're they're sold just in the straight powder in a right. pouch. Right. I really like pouches, and it's a straight powders. Right. We we also have them in capsules now because some people went, oh, that ratio is too bitter. I can't yeah. take it. Yeah. Put it in a capsule. So real mushrooms, and then and then uh, again, we have um, our we sell to different uh, manufacturers and small companies mm -hmm. in in Australia, big and small, who put out our products under their labels. Yeah. Uh, we have an international distributor that actually does most of that. So I'm not familiar with mm -hmm. all the companies but the key thing would be to look for products that actually talk about the beta glucans yeah um and 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 look if if the product says made in the usa taste it 
You can taste it. It'll taste like grain. Yeah. It'll become sweet. <laughs> Your reishi won't be bitter. Yeah. It'll have that color. Uh, so beware mm. and, and be very careful. And I'm sure you're getting nothing but really nice mushrooms to to do your extracts with which is great because that's what you want to focus on you want to focus on the mushroom that's where all the the good stuff is oh jeff you know i could talk to you all day about mushrooms (laughs) and like the passion in your voice it's just so contagious i yeah but i think this is if you don't tell anyone else this is probably my favorite podcast um that i've ever done so thank you thank you so much well, for thank you. coming on and chatting to us and um we could even do a, a second follow-up mushroom podcast because i'm sure that we could keep going for days on this but yeah. <laughs> thank well you. we will as as things move along we'll definitely do another podcast yeah, down the line for I sure it. it's been a thank real you. pleasure thank to you thank talk you thank you hey guys jeff and i spoke after we finished this podcast and we wanted to give you guys an opportunity to try some medicinal mushrooms. So he has very, very generously offered a coupon code when you go onto his website, realmushrooms.com. The coupon code is MGHERBS. Super simple. And I've been on and I've ordered a bunch of stuff and I'm very excited and I'm going to pass it out, um, you know, to all my staff and, and myself and my husband. So we will be trying the mushrooms and we'll let you know how they go. And if you guys want to do the same, it's MG Herbs. Put it in the discount coupon code section when you go to check out and that'll give you 10% off your cart. Thanks, Jeff. If you like what we do here at The Naked Naturopath, then be sure to rate, review and subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. To learn more about Mel and MG Herbs, jump onto mgherbs.com, follow us on Facebook at MG Herbs Australia and Instagram at MG Herbs Official. Please keep in mind that all advice and opinions on The Naked Naturopath are not individualized. To get the right advice for you, be sure to make a booking with Mel or your health professional. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.